Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and I'm very excited to have with us the newly Michiganed Barbarice. Yay, I am coming to you from the frickin' Snowpocalypse 2019. She timed her move just so perfectly. Dude, I had nothing to do with it. Blame it all on my husband. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, if you don't know the saga of Barb and the Hellmouth that is Florida, Barb moved from Florida finally after years of despair. Yes, and forever. And now she's got more snow than any human could ever ask for. And actually, I don't mind it. It's a hell of a lot better than drowning in boob sweat in the middle of so-called winter because Florida only has the two seasons. We've got hurricane season and then we've got summer. <laughs> and, we, and that is it. We don't have winter. We don't have spring. It's just either wet or hot or both. So, yeah, this is like it's, it's a welcome change because... My kids are actually out and doing physical activity other aside from like sitting on their asses on their devices and stuff. So I can appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just like, we like being outside here because you don't, you know, Melt. waste away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yay, Michigan. Woo. That's <laughs> hilarious. I can't complain yet, but I'm sure I'll find a reason to before too long. <laughs> this, well, it is you. You yes. will find a way. <laughs> it's my talent. It's my purpose on this earth That's to find funny. something to bitch about. <laughs> oh, man. So um, we are really excited tonight. We have... <clears throat> If I don't die of, of choking to death on my own oh, bed, um, it, we are going to have the wonderful and talented S.A. Bradley on the show. Um, hey. Scott is a fantastic writer. He's got a new book out called Screaming for Pleasure. And uh, yeah, if that title don't get you, I don't know. That oh, I've got stories when I was looking for it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> what it was sandwiched in between. I'm just like, oh my. <laughs> you probably planned that. I don't know. We'll find you know. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a fantastic book and it's really uh, a neat um it, it basically it's really neat what it what it talks about is the aspects of horror psychologically for a person in terms of going to a horror film what it can do for you how it is a release how it uh, figures into um uh just your the psychology of it in terms of using horror as a way to deal with stress using horror films as a way to deal with medical issues and this is something that i've had a lot of friends uh talk about there's been uh, documentaries about this and we're going to talk about all of that with scott it's going to be really fantastic i'm very very excited about it some good talking which is what we're about (laughs) so uh we are uh before we go to that though we're going to talk uh about a couple of news items. One is, is very sad that literally we all just found out about a few hours ago. Mm-hmm. And that is the passing of Dick Miller. Um, Dick Miller was one of those faces that you just knew him in every movie he was in. He, he, he was like in over a over hundred and uh, some odd films numerous television appearances and uh, but everybody will always remember him 
at least in my age group, as Mr. Futterman from Gremlins. Absolutely. And uh, so um, he was 90 years old. He lived a long, long life and uh, a fulfilling one, I think, with just the body of work that he leaves behind. Um, he, uh, I was lucky enough, um, I believe it was actually the first Warhound weekend that we had or pretty close to it. It was, it was one of the early, early ones. Um, that show had Joe Dante at it. And it was, and, um, we, uh, ended up giving Dick Miller the first, I think it was the first one, the first horror hound lifetime achievement award Oh wow! at that show. And I was there for that. And I was, um, it was, it was amazing to see. And, uh, tonight, um, when Joe Dante did a post about it on Twitter about his passing, he actually used a picture from that event. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's, we were there for that. Cause I, that was one of the things is guys like Dick Miller, you're seeing stuff all over right now, now that he's passed, but you never really see Dick Miller get the accolades that a guy like that would deserve. Right. You know, it's one of those and things. It's sad. It's sad that it, it comes with his passing that he gets the accolades that he should have received in life. But yeah, I mean, Joe Dante, basically, I think he had him in like every movie he ever made. He was in The Terminator. He was in The Howling. He was in The Burbs. He's been in God. Just if you look at his IMDb entry, mm-hmm. you it, it just keeps you just keep scrolling. I mean, he was exactly. in everything um so we'll 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 probably end up doing a a memorial episode for him um you know i just wanted to bring it up because it literally just happened today as of this recording we just found out about it and um i just wanted to um say it and 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 you know send out our condolences to his wife and and family and and friends because this is he's an actor that just helped create a lot of our our growing up he's one of those guys yeah and like you said even if if the name doesn't ring a bell the face certainly does oh yeah yeah he's one of those faces that you smile because you you recognize him immediately Mm -hmm. so um the other bit of news that just today got announced um another one of those is they have officially announced the return of the new batman movie Mm mm-hmm and the new Batman movie is going to be, um, funnily enough, because back in 1984, I think it was that when Burton's Batman, 1985, when Burton's Batman came out. Something like that, yeah. It, it landed on my birthday, which was June 23rd. Nice. And so I had my my birth date underneath a giant bat symbol all over the world, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, this one's going to land June 25th in 2021, and there is no Ben Fleck. Nope. Nope. Ben Affleck is not Ben Affleck, Batfleck, however you want to call it, is no longer Batman. It it is confirmed. Um, He can go look miserable somewhere else. Um, Yeah, he just, I don't know. He needs to figure his life out. Um, anyway. Can you tell I'm just like, it's so sad. me in the feels. Do some stunt casting for Barb that would make her ecstatic and just cast Tom Hardy as Batman. You know, he's already Phantom though. We're not going to get him in DC. Yeah. Um, but I you know. 
Mm-hmm. Real quick, because the topic was, I, and I had posted it on my Facebook because it was going around that Michael C. Hall was down to play the Batman yeah, role. Suddenly that came out like the other day before this news broke. Yeah. Uh, is that coincidental or is he just like, hey, I've got nothing else going on. Cast me because Affleck is out. Well, it's interesting because he's already played Batman. He played mm-hmm. the vampire Batman in that one of my favorite DC cartoons, um, Gods and Monsters, which was, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. I think it's on on uh, Hulu, but uh, it's really fantastic. Um, he, he does a great job. But honestly, if they wanted to make Jessica's little heart go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, they would do what they should do and do a live action version. Not that crap, that BVSS bullshit that we got given, but an actual version, a good version, an R-rated version of The Dark Knight Returns and have freaking Michael Keaton come back as old Batman. That would be badass. Absolutely. I mean, I would literally like explode all over the floor and like go give her a towel. She needs to help. Yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> that, that even goes around telling people he's Batman. It could, just do it. Just do it. I'm G- give him give him the Batman. Give him the cow back. He's still got the lips. He's got the eyes. He's got everything. Exactly. He would be perfect. I would be I would be happy with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I would yeah. I would be I would I would be really happy about that. I can't think of anybody. I mean, I there there's a few I, I keep looking at old Batman. I James Morrison, who was um on twenty four, who could still do it, mm-hmm. he has beautiful white hair and he's a yoga guy. He's got like the build and he's I think he's in his late fifties. He could totally be it. Michael Keaton could do it. If you're looking for, you know, like, cause they're Bruce Wayne is not a young guy. No. I don't want tween Batman. I mean, we already got that on Gotham. We, right. we got that. And I, th- I think they still made, I like the kid that they got playing Batman on that, on Bruce Wayne on that show. But for real though, if make Batman at least, in his, you know what? Give freaking George Clooney the shot. Give let him make up. You know he, he keeps taking the blame for for that atrocity that happened with his Batman. Yeah. It wasn't his fault. It was it was it wasn't him at all. No, he was actually good. Give it to him. Let him do it again. You know, I I don't want a a twenty something. No. Blame. And, and I think I that's what they're looking for. That they're looking for like the younger. Bruce Wayne still and I don't get why because I think everybody has kind of moved on past and we want to see the mature Bruce Wayne we want to see Batman age and see what he can still do we don't need to keep him like in in the you know mid to late 20s or whatever being the playboy and stuff I want a Batman with gravitas exactly you know and I if anything has shown you know, you older actors can bring it. Oh, you know, hell yeah. No, I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not for Peter Capaldi mm-hmm. as Batman. Please, no. He would be a fantastic old Joker. Oh, yeah. I can see that. God damn. That would be wonderful. 
But no, I don't want tween Batman. I don't want 20-something Batman. I want a 40-year-old Batman who can bring it and got, there's no excuse. You got freaking 56 year old or whatever Tom Cruise out there doing all of his own stunts. Right. Have no excuse, no excuse kids. Go get us a, a grizzly, sexy, you know, badass, slick can do both. Get a man who can do both. There you go. You know, if you want to take it, you know, that far, get a man who can do both. They can be the slickster, Bruce Wayne, and then turn around and become a badass, kill you. Look at Keanu freaking Reeves, for the love Dude, of God. He doesn't age. He's a fucking vampire. He is. But he's the blood of the innocent. <laughs> I no, saw him on an interview in some show, and I'm just like, the man does not freaking age. I will also, I would also accept Nathan Fillion. Yeah. I would accept Nathan Fillion as Batman. For real. He he can do the smarmy, he can be like the, the slickster business guy, and then he can turn around, and if you've seen Firefly, and you've seen when he turns on that, with, with with Mal, oh, yes, I will take that. Hell yeah. Even, uh, like I've stated before, when I saw your panel, I would even be... Cool with uh, Billy Zane. Zane would be fantastic. Billy Zane would be fucking dope. Oh my god, Barb. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> make this happen. It's Barb. gotta fucking happen. Go make this happen. It's the fangirl power, dude. We I, have I, to have it. We have to make it happen. I know. Well, uh, well, I'm um, okay. We're gonna bring on our special guest tonight because um, it's I we we're a little behind because we've been t- we've been dream fantasizing Batman <laughs> now. But I'm going to go ahead and go get Scott Bradley and bring him on to talk horror and possibly Batman. He might be down for Batman talking. Let's see. So, everybody, I want to welcome to Fangirl Radio um, our special guest for the night, Mr. S.A. Bradley, Scott Bradley, who is a fantastic writer who delves into the reaches of horror and tells us about the psychological aspects of that within his new book, Screaming for Pleasure. (laughs) Welcome to Thanks for having me on. We're very excited to have you. Now, before we brought you on, um, we were discussing this breaking news that just came out about the new Batman movie that just got announced for uh, 2021. And we are no longer going to have uh, Ben Affleck as Batman. They're going to be hiring a new Batman. Fair enough. So who... Now, here's the rumor. This was what was funny, and Barb brought this up, too, was the fact that Michael C. Hall, who played Dexter, um, mm-hmm. it just literally two days before this came out, like because this literally just announced like 30 minutes ago, um, he had just news had been going around that he wanted to he was down for being the new batman which he'd already played the character as a cartoon character in a really mm-hmm. great version of a an animated film called gods and monsters so i found that interesting but who in your mind because i'm i i'm gonna guess with what you write about and the things that you like and you're our people um that you like batman who would yeah. you cast <laughs> as the new batman if you had a choice Oh my gosh. See, now that you mentioned Michael C. Hall, that's all I can see. His <laughs> lower face is like perfect. Exactly. You know, He's his got that lower square jaw, jaw and everything. 
Yeah, and he's just so intense. I mean, yes. watching him on, on Dexter, I mean, that was revelation stuff right there that he was able to do. And, and so I literally can't think of anything. I thought you were going to tell me it was like Rami Malek was going to be the new oh, Batman. God. It's like, well, it might have an issue. <laughs> no. It might not work. But yeah. uh, that's actually a really cool question to ask. Uh, and damn it, if I can't not get Michael C. Hall on my head at this point. <laughs> But um, I, I'm trying to think who would be. Fu- I mean, it takes a certain thing to do Batman right. Uh, although mm-hmm. I've been wrong before. I, I was around at the time when the 89 Burton Batman came out and everybody was like, oh, this is the end of Batman. They're putting Mr. Mom in right. as Batman. We were like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. And it was so fantastic. It worked great. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that comedic actors can sometimes do so well in the dark, dark roles if they really are uh, given the opportunity to do it. And, of course, we see now uh, Mr. Mom. (laughs) I love that you went there. (laughs) I know, it's a nightmare. (laughs) Poor guy. But he's he's been doing more genre work. He's been doing comic book work, as we all know. And uh, comic book movies, Marvel Universe. Uh, He would be uh, a really interesting... uh, not him per se, but someone who's a comedian, I think might not be a bad move at all. Uh, I mean, Hemsworth is, uh, I think, too big, maybe. But uh, I love his comic timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's funny. What we were talking about was, you know, I brought up the fact that I would love for them to do a proper live action version of The Dark Knight Returns and put mm. Michael Keaton as older Batman. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. And yeah, uh, I, I could, I, I'm all aboard on that. <laughs> see, see, but Barb, Barb brought up Me. the most brilliant thing ever. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Okay. All right, we're we're belted in. All right, I suggested that Billy Zane be the new Batman. Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness, Billy Zane! Can well, you that's see it? Interesting. I can I can kind of see I can see his insanity mm-hmm. because I think one of the things that's really interesting about Batman that sometimes gets talked about and sometimes doesn't is that kind of psychotic piece to him. And Billy Zane is just nuts. I mean, yeah. just the way that he acts, there's always that thing of like, well, I'm smiling, but really I'm laughing my head off right now. <laughs> A joke that you don't know. <laughs> and so he would be kind of interesting in that. Uh, he did He did the and, Phantom, and he was fantastic in that. But this, I think, now that he's yeah, older. Yeah, Phantom is really good. And he still looks the same. I did a panel mm-hmm. with him that I moderated at the last Horror Hound. And he mm. is the, he doesn't look any different. I mean, he, he literally looks the same he did in, in, the, in Titanic. And uh, mm-hmm. he's definitely fit enough. He definitely can do the suave. Uh, uh, you know Bruce Wayne side of things, right. and I, 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 after seeing him in movies like, uh, oh gosh, the one where he was the crazy guy on the boat, dead, dead, calm, dead calm, dead calm, dead calm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he can do. If we wanted Batman to go a little nuts, he we go a little nuts, you know, to oh, borrow yeah. a little Keaton there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch, watch Tales from the Crypt. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, Tales night. from the Hood. Actually, yeah. Yeah, really he good. actually yeah. Um, improvised. If I found out during that panel, he improvised 90% of that. And that that was really <laughs> that, that, that whole scene with the, the sponge really was yes. a sponge in his mouth that he did. 
and and and, and uh, he based it on the, on the uh, genie from Aladdin. That's that's were- really interesting. I, now you got me. Well, I don't know. We could have Michael C. Hall and, and Billy Zane duke it out a little bit, and suddenly I- Thomas Jane walks in in the back and <laughs> gets <Right>. him. So. <laughs> Thomas Jane's a great actor. He's too short. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I met him. I, I met him. He's he was a sweet guy, but he was he's really strange too. I mean, he walks around conventions barefoot. barefoot. He did that yeah. at uh, San Diego Comic Con when I met him, and I was really? like, he's not wearing any shoes. What the hell? Does he do this in New York? Because I God help him if he does. <laughs> I was just gonna say, first day of con, you might get away with it, but I wouldn't touch the carpet <laughs> or anything no, no. after a second day. Nasty, nasty. Well, Scott, I. We we veered off enough. I I swear we're gonna (laughs) focus in now on that was fun. I yay, we're random. (laughs) We're we're fun but random. Um, but I wanted to talk about your book and and I've got a list here of things that I wanted to pick your brain about. And uh, because uh, first of all, screaming for pleasure. I've I've given a little detail to uh, prior to you coming on about what this is and how it deals with the psychological aspects of horror and the benefits of it, the ways that people can utilize it for, um, for themselves in terms of like helping get through stress, helping, uh, deal with, you know, things that life throws at you and, and the benefits of it and how it it's cathartic in a lot of ways. And, uh, but I wanted to get you to uh, give you the opportunity to talk about it and what inspired it. Sure. Uh, well, the book itself uh, and the the, the uh, subheading for it is how horror makes you happy and healthy. And it's a little bit tongue in cheek on that. But I do really believe that there are uh, ways that it can be very healthy for you. Now, we're obviously I'm not saying it's going to cure your lumbago or anything like that, <laughs> but it's more on the on the emotional side and, the, and, and in some ways kind of the spiritual side uh, of uh, being able to come to terms with some of the shadow stuff that's inside of everybody but if you look at the book on a, on a broad level it's a love letter to all the things that go bump in the night and and how hard not only reinvents itself to reflect you know each generation's anxieties but it can also be uh very healing and and thrilling as well as thrilling it has that healing piece and i think that uh in a way uh horror is constantly commenting on society and society is constantly commenting on horror in its own way mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of what i talk about in the book is uh Really, the things that are going to make you happy are finding your tribe and finding a a way to relieve uh, stress. Uh, and and you know sometimes when we talk about things like psychiatry and and stuff like that, uh, yeah, you go and you get help when you kind of can articulate what the issue might be. But I think horror and music is another great magic of its own. They are able to hit on emotional issues that we might have or things that are just we're anxious about that we could could not articulate for the life of us. I have no idea why I feel like I feel. But then I watch something that can take me into a different emotion what I'm usually allowed to go to and that's what concerts can do as well. All of a sudden I feel this wave of ease come over me. And so I found in my life, at least, and I think everybody has their own passions, but for me, the horror movie allowed me to get over some really deep-seated stuff that I couldn't really articulate that came from just being in this crazy world and allowing myself to 
be okay, have a handshake with that shadow, you know, the Jungian idea of the shadow self where, hey, we all have it, and uh, you can ignore the shadow self, the part of you that's a little bit nasty, uh, at your own peril. If you do ignore it long enough, then that's when it er erupts and decides it's really going to show itself, and you end up in divorces and all that kind of stuff. But you uh, are able to do that in a safe and healthy way, and a lot of this is doing, being able to admit that we have unhealthy thoughts sometimes, and sometimes we have uh, fears that uh, are, are really, really deep. We admit that, and we allow that to be okay. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, horror can do, and I think it also just gives us a, a substitute boogeyman. You know, I can't talk very specifically about certain people in my life or certain things that have happened. But if I turn it into a monster, if we come up with a parable, if we come up with uh, some kind of metaphor around that, all of a sudden I can touch that a little bit more. We get that uh, that separation between the real agony that can happen in our lives by being able to have that monster take the place of whatever it is. Uh, you know, I don't want to be scared in real life, uh, but I love being in control of being scared. And that's what a movie allows me to do. I have no control over the madness that's out there, but for an hour and a half or the length of a heavy metal song or whatever it might be, I have control over why I feel like I feel. So you bring up a good point, and this is one thing I wanted to talk to you about, was the the psychological benefits of horror. And one of those that uh, a lot of, you know, there was a whole documentary that Heather Langenkamp did called My Name is Nancy that talks about the survivor girl part of the horror films in I mean, this was like an emotional roller coaster of a documentary. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Because one I of love the, her. Oh God, this thing is so amazing. And the ending, they talked to a girl who was raped and survived her rape. And um she went and talked to Heather at a con and, and in the documentary she talks about how watching Heather fight Freddie helped her overcome her trauma and that this was her fighting her attacker and winning and that's one of the things i really love about horror films is that you can they you know they get a bad rap but at the same time like you said they help people heal mm -hmm. and and that act that part that's like the extreme of that yeah, I, I I think it really does. You know, I I try not to, you know, sound like this is some kind of guru stuff. But at the same point, when I go to horror, horror conventions, uh, what I like to tell people is I rarely see anybody in like a really sour mood there. Uh, you can be grumpy in long lines, sure. But for the most part, when I'm meeting people after the, the, the vendor's room is closed and we're all sitting around, we're having a great time. And yet at any point you can look around that room and you're probably looking at somebody who really went through something heavy and they are no longer in that pained place. And a lot of times when we talk, we, we get this friendship that happens very quickly. And sometimes it's a, a connection to something that was really horrible, something that scared us. And we're open to talk about that kind of thing most of the time in, in, in a horror movie context. But I find that a lot of people who have gone through something uh, pretty interesting, a lot of times those folks find a salvation 
in 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 a way uh, with uh, whatever it is that they really connect to in horror, whether it be that they beat the monster that was always beating them at one point, uh, whether it just takes their mind off of something or it just releases some serotonin. You know, some people are really <laughs> able to have a, a, a little bit of a chemical uh, hit when they're watching movies. Well, and, and you talked about finding your tribe and that's one thing um, I do a lot of horror conventions and it, you, you're right. Horror fans like the films get a bad rap people think we're all crazy people we're we're serial killers we're we're satanists or you name it whatever whatever <laughs> well, wait, drug... we're not i get yes true <laughs> barb you, you you make me wonder man you, barb, you you really you and your your obsession with um mr mr uh god the, the clown art the clown barb has a thing for art the clown i love him Oh, if well, I could that's still have babies, one of my I would favorites have... of the year. <laughs> Yay! See, Jess, it's not just me. Are, are, <laughs> but yeah, you, you don't clown, feel about. I shouldn't him. like it. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't feel about him that way. I hope. Well, yeah. I, if you wanted to have his babies, I'd have to be like, oh, wait a minute. But uh, <laughs> no, there's, there's you, a there. Yeah. He really treats his ladies horribly. In yeah. That movie. I mean, so I'm not quite sure what the uh, what the attraction I, might I be. I don't get it either, man. I <laughs> Although we had him on the show, and he's uh, David is fantastic. He's, yeah, he's awesome. He did the Joker for us, coming back the Batman. Uh, he can do spot on Mark Hamill Joker. Oh, um, that's wonderful. Well, oh, yeah. his body. I mean, what an amazing performance that was for a movie that I didn't expect to like. I went right. in uh, going, oh man, this is a slasher. I'm not sure what I'm going to think of this. Rarely do they get it right. And that was like a 1980 or 1981 slasher. And I oh, make yeah. a distinction there because the first two years of slashers, they were awesome. They were punk rock. They were really ruthless. They had a eeriness to them. And then it started to become a template. But this one went back to that kind of thing where I was going, oh, this is not normally what would happen. And I love how it drove people insane. People were like, that's not what's supposed to happen. And I was like, oh, yeah, now we got a good movie. Exactly. The, the fact that he pulled out the gun, gun is the yep. best thing yeah. ever. He's like, God yeah. damn it. I didn't, I didn't want to bring that this. up. But <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was just and that's when, you know, I got to uh, to talk to some of the people who were in that. And uh, I was going, this is insane. You go through the entire movie where we're rooting for you. And in like not just, oh, you're shot and killed. Your face is taken out with like eight bullets. I was like that. I couldn't even believe I was going, you're kidding me. OK, I'm watching this thing forever. <laughs> well now he's become an icon it's so it's so great watching art kind of spread across the world and 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 masks are being made off of him and 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 david's just he's just ecstatic so it's great to see a new icon kind of be born from that um but i i wanted to go back to the the psychological benefits of horror yes again because there's another side of this too and this it's really not just horror it's it's the is genre in, in particular because I had it with one thing you'll learn about me is I'm a huge Doctor Who nerd. I live, eat, sleep, nice. breathe Doctor Who. But um, I had a friend of mine and, and myself as well. We both fought cancer. And um, when I got diagnosed, it was just around the same time David Tennant started. And I ended up mm. watching Doctor 
who and getting through all of this crap that I had to deal with for three months of, of recuperating from surgery and all that. Um, my, my friend BJ, she, um, had to go through like a horrible, uh, cancer that she had, but she used horror films and she's a writer and she wrote about this, about how she would use horror films to get her through this dark, horrible period of her life where she was dealing with this and it get, it motivated her to fight. And that's one thing that I, I really think is a lot of people don't get to is how these films reach in and give you like they, they pump you up in a lot of ways yeah. to get through things like that. And, and that goes back into, you know, using it as a tool. Yeah. I think we get that as kids, And we kind of let the childhood things go away, but we also let go of some of the uh, what what can be cures for us. We 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 let go of, and I think we've always been when we were kids. We would say things like a giant ate our homework and all that stuff. We were always playing with metaphor. We were always looking at how can I not be scared of this, take a little bit of the reality off and turn it into something that was a monster. I think uh, for a lot of people of a certain age, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is so important for that reason, because uh, the way that Boris Karloff played him, he was a very childlike and and very temperamental and very innocent and sad. And so many of us uh, did relate to the monster and, empathize and sympathize with the monster. And I think sometimes we're we're Godzilla and sometimes we're the guy who uh, kills the thing in the old 1951 version. You know, and sometimes we need to see someone not make it. And that's cathartic. You know, uh, and I think that's something that uh, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you know, horror movies, uh, you know, the the only good ones are when that ends with a happy ending because that's the uplifting thing. I'm like, no, not always. Sometimes what you need when you're feeling so dark and you're feeling so angry in the world, you need to see that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know quite why, but it is one of those things where I just feel like they finally told the truth. You know, somebody finally told the truth in front of me. And congratulations on getting over cancer. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, fuck cancer. Yes, I mean, fuck uh, cancer. I have for several real. friends have gone, yeah, gone through that, and I can, I can relate, especially with something like Doctor Who. So, full disclosure, my doctor is Tom Baker. I, I go Yay! Back a lot. <laughs> so no, that's I. My guy. I I I grew up watching it. He was my first one I watched. And then I got to meet Pertwee on the screen. And my sister, the lucky, my my lucky whore of a sister, got to actually meet Patrick Trout. (laughs) He got to meet Patrick Trout and got to meet John Pertwee. Got to make out with Tom Baker. She kissed him. And he kissed back hardcore kissing. And um, Wow. He liked her a lot. Um, she got to meet Peter <laughs> Davison. And then I finally got to meet my first doctor in person, which was Colin Baker, who I had a crush on when I was. Young. Ah. <laughs> and, but uh, full, full, full disclosure, my, my official favorite doctor, though, is Peter Capaldi. And that's I, I even oh, though wow. I've been in it for the longest time took it over. I, I love Tom Baker too. I mean, I've got Tom, I'm looking at Tom Baker's autograph right now. I got it from him. I ordered it because I'm like, no, he's <laughs> before he's, he goes away. Um, but 
I'm not going morbid. I'm, he's never going to die. Tom Baker lives forever. Right. <laughs> um, every but, year uh, he puts out a birthday greeting to everybody. So I know. He's, he's, he's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Um, but yeah, Capaldi, the reason I loved him so much was because he was a fanboy that made it. Yeah. Uh, the same way, but Capaldi even more so because he like lived he lived it um for so long for doctor who and he's a geek he's a huge mm-hmm. hammer horror nerd i don't know if you knew mm-hmm. this that first yeah. amicus as well yeah and when i met him um at san diego comic-con uh i uh ended up talking to him he grabbed he's like come over here and talk to me about peter cushing and i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> And we wound up talking about Peter Cushing and in, in, um, the horror of Dracula and how he hurt his own knee trying to live up to Peter Cushing on the Doctor Who set. He he talked to me about um, about running across the Peter Cushing running across the table and how horror of Dracula was his. Yes. Yeah, that was not in the script. That was uh, Peter Cushing said to the to Terrence, I want to do that. Can I do that? Because that seems lame what you have in there. And so Peter Capaldi's like, I have to live up to that. That's awesome. And yeah, and that's how he damaged his knee. Mm. But it was doing being crazy on the set of Doctor Who. And um, yeah, so that's part of the reason why Peter Capaldi's my favorite doctor. That and he's he literally lived. He lives it still being the doctor. And, you know, going to ho- children's hospitals, right. doing crazy, you know, just he he's like, it's a mantle. You have to wear it, you know, and, and I think he got a raw deal. Now that's yeah. He well, yeah, we can talk more on that. Oh, I did want to get back to what you're saying about <laughs> yeah, yeah, Doctor yeah. Who uh, and uh, getting through cancer. It, it seems like an absolute obvious thing that that would be uh, the way to go, because the doctor, it, first off, uh, is super powerful, but an innocent in some ways. He is also kind of the universe in his own way. He goes at, against all of these things that are just out to destroy whatever is in front of them. And he does it without weapons. Exactly. And he regenerates. Mm-hmm. So when things get so bad, you have this regeneration, which allows him to come back in a whole different way. And yeah, I would assume if you're going through what you're going through, that's that's a pretty promising bit of fiction in front of you. Well, it, the, the thing that I, I actually sent David Tennant a letter um, about that and actually got to meet him in person and told him, you know, you're my good luck charm. You helped me get through this. And he, he looked at me like, well, well, I don't know what to say to that. And I said, can Aww. I have a hug? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yes, I got to hug him. Um, but it, it's one of those things where that character represents uh, just bravery in the, in the face of everything. Yes. And, you know, the, what I, I came, the, the, the wording I came up with for, to, to explain, you know, what you did for me, you know, David Tennant was you seeing you fight the monsters there helped me fight the monsters within me. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and you did it with bravery. And the doctor is one of the most positive when it comes to people's inner strength and what a person can do and like those lines like Matt Smith said of I've never met a person in, in a 900 years of existence. I've never per- met a person who wasn't important. 
Yeah. And that kind of stuff, and that goes back to just genre in general and fandom, is that's why we love it. You know, that's that that kind of stuff is why people why this that show in particular has been around for over 50 years and that's like you said of the people to get it and why and that's why my people are the are are geeks you know we we uh at horror cons you know going back to that is we get a bad rap and a lot of us have been outsiders for most of our lives and when you finally find someone that gets it then you're like Oh, where where were you for my the first fifteen years of my existence? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, hiding as well. That's where yeah, we were. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the interesting thing about the whole deal. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, you. Uh, I, I need to stop for a second. Are you guys hearing like a weird chime noise? Nope, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm not. it's it sounds like an update's trying to happen. So oh, I no. apologize. <laughs> I'll I'll stop here and I'll start again with uh, where I wanted to go with this. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were all hiding, <laughs> basically, at 15. And I think that's what is so great about, uh, you mentioned geek, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of geeks and genre. Why genre works so well for us is that it has no business or no interest in being in the middle of the of the road. Mm-hmm. It has no desire to be like everybody else. And I think what's interesting is that we have a yearning to be accepted, but we're really strong enough to not be that (laughs) through all of that stuff that we go through when we're young. I think about how stubborn I needed to be to know that I was going to be so different from everybody else. And allegedly I'm supposed to be the weakling. And yet I didn't change at all. I continued to love what I loved. And so when I found speculative literature like that, or I found uh, movies that uh, really spoke to me, or I listened to music that suddenly said, welcome outsider, and it said it in the right way, it was being said by someone else who was an outsider. It wasn't being brought to me by a corporation somewhere. This was something that was impassioned by somebody else that did not want to stay in that middle of the road. And so I think that's why when we get to the point of finding our tribe, that it is so deep and why we have such a devotion to the things that we do have a devotion to. It's not as much an an escape as an embrace. Well, and and that kind of goes into what my growing up, you brought up the Frankenstein monster and my first baptism really into horror and into characters like that was watching creature features and seeing the old uh-huh. universal films. That's what I started. I, I watched them when I was like five yeah. and I fell in love with these monsters because those monsters were my friends it sounds so weird and wrong, but for the longest time growing up, I, you know, I was the weirdo kid. I, I grew up in this little podunk town in Southern Illinois. I read Fangoria when I was tw- 13 years old or 12 years old. And I was a girl on top of that. And I was, mm-hmm. I was a chunky girl. So I got treated like dog crap. I mean, that was really what happened to me. People were like, you know, made fun of my weight, made fun of the fact that I uh, read, you know, read stuff about, you know, horror movies and just people are evil. (laughs) So so I ran to Frankenstein. I ran to Dracula. These were my friends. They helped me get through this. Clive Barker helped me get through growing up in this little backwater that that, uh, no one else 
until I was like 17 or 18 years old, knew what Fangoria was. Um, but that's what I grew up on and they helped me get through it. And I learned life lessons from these movies. That's the other part of it. And, um, I, I, uh, thanks to Clive Barker, I, I got an imagination out of it. And, you know, like I, he opened worlds at Grell and Poe opened worlds for mm-hmm. me. And, you know, that's the magic of it. And I, I feel bad for people that couldn't discover that, yeah. you know, that they, they weren't able to, because, you know, I related, like you said, to Frankenstein, I related to the Phantom of the Opera, you know, you want to hide behind the mask mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, getting treated like, you know, when they see what you truly are, who you are inside or, you know, they, they don't, don't want to accept you. You're the yeah. freak. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah, that's totally how I felt. Yeah. There's, uh, there's like a million things I could talk about by way, what you talked about <laughs> right there. That's uh, so I empathize completely. Uh, I, I guess, uh, talking about Barker, uh, first off the uh, first book of blood, my God, there was nothing better. That was uh, truly revolutionary at its time, uh, going through Stephen King and stuff and f- suddenly hitting on Barker. That was taking it to a whole different level of feeling like an outsider, which I thought was great. Uh, but uh, you also mentioned uh, Creature Features, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I did a whole thing on one of my shows uh, for my podcast about the creation of that and how overnight, you know, uh, basically you have Universal running out of money, uh, TV has all this extra air, uh, yep. air time that's empty space and both of them need something. And that's how most things come to life. It's not like this great artistic idea that, uh, it becomes an artistic idea because the money men need something. And yep. so there's this open space and you have the shock package that comes out and you have these movies being seen for the first time, but across the country, the same thing happens. It doesn't matter where you are, where you grew up. It's, uh, you, all connected with the same monsters at the same time. And the guys that were in charge were pretty much the same. You know, they all decided to wear a cape or they all were the weatherman (laughs) who did. It's so funny how everything happened at the same time. And it became this, this this cultural move. And you talked about how uh, these, these things were like uh, saving graces for you. I lost a couple patron saints this year and I completely get what you're talking about. Edgar Allan Poe. And when you're talking about Barker, because for me, Harlan Ellison was one oh, of those writers. Oh, man. And what Harlan. Harlan did, yeah, Harlan gave me the ability to be who I am right now. Mm-hmm. Because he is the guy who said, do not be afraid. You must go there. And he was the guy who was this little fella who would walk off the set of NBC if they said sci-fi. Instead angry of little fiction. man. <laughs> yeah. Angry. And he, and he, but he wasn't just angry. He could argue them under the table. All right. <laughs> And that was the thing. He basically said, take the punch if you need to, but stand up for yourself. So it wasn't the quivering, like he had his friends with Asimov and those guys, and they were all like the shaking guys. <laughs> they would get nervous around these big fellas, and they'd have Ellison around, and he'd be like, those guys are idiots. I'm going to go over and tell them they're idiots. Like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And so they admired the fact that here's this guy who had the courage to break down that mold, that being smart, clever, intelligent, imaginative, these are not problems. 
these are really good things, but you're being told that they're not. And when he sat there and he gave me that courage, it was huge. And the first book uh, that I read wasn't even him writing. It was him editing. It was, again, Dangerous Visions. And there's a story in there called Hitchhiking for Pedestrians or Time Travel for Pedestrians. Uh, and it was life-changing because I grew up in a fundamentalist, basically a cult, and I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. And I was afraid of everything. And I was told what the world was really about. It was very black and white. And I didn't really completely buy into it even as a kid, but I felt very guilty by not buying into it. And this one story took so many of those things that I was told and tore them apart that I suddenly realized I'm not alone. And to me, it was like all hail. <laughs> all hail Harlan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I actually got to meet him um, with my sister at the world horror convention. That was this, um, when I got my tattoo from Clive Barker, he was at that show. Nice. Oh, wow. And, um, it was the funniest thing. Cause it was my sister and I, and, uh, there was a drunk Neil Gaiman going around with the Neil Gaiman Muppet. There was a Neil <laughs> Gaiman Muppet that he had with him and he was a little drunk. Um, but the thing that was so funny was my sister recognized Harlan immediately because he had that gray hair. He was shorter, a little chunky, and, and he was he was adorable, and, and he looked pissed. <laughs> That's right. basically what he looked like all the time. And my sister's like, that's Harlan Ellison. I'm going to go get a picture with him. I'm like, okay. And we went over to him, and he's like, and he had, I think it was his daughter was with him, or or he had an assistant. And she, you could tell she's just like, I have no control over anything that he <laughs> does or says. And so my sister went over and was like, um, Mr. Ellison, I'm a huge fan. Can I get a picture with you? And he's like, no, I don't have time for that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my sister just goes, God damn it, Harlan, take a picture with me. And, and he goes, fine. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Respect. You stood that's, up to him. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. And, and that's uh, a lot of times he did uh, really appreciate that kind of thing. And uh, for the horror side of it, I lost another uh, of uh, my patron saints, which was Nicholas Rogue. He just died recently. Uh, And his his film, Don't Look Now, was really the stepping stone, the first kiss for me Ah, to become a horror fan. I loved your description of that in the book, by the way. That was just beautiful. Thank you. But yeah, it's it's like we're we're losing a lot of our icons. It's we're getting that age now where. That I, I hate talking about it, but that's what's happened is like we've gotten to that age now where they're they're we're losing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I'm I'm I keep try I do this thing where I, I try to who's the new patron saints of horror, mm-hmm. you know, basically and um you know, I look for my my uh, Lon Chaney's and I look for my mm-hmm. um Vincent Price's. And so I've had a couple now that I figured out, okay, Doug Jones is definitely, definitely like the Lon Chaney. There we go. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey Combs to me is our, (laughs) he is our Vincent Price. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I think he would be overjoyed to hear that if he hasn't heard it already. That's, that's, that's hot. I, I, I love him to death and I love interviewing him. I've interviewed him a few times now and I get, I can, I figured out how to get Jeffrey Combs to go on rants. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm like, let's talk about the Kardashians. Oh my God. Does oh he hate God. Them so much? <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, I, you know, I look for, you know, I'm like, okay, who do we have to fill this void Mm -hmm. that I, I, you know, I have to, I have to have it, you know, I need to know who, who's still here that can that. And it's, it's hard to find people that can really live up to those, that, you know, those groups, but these guys do it. Um, There's a few others. I, I really honestly, and I keep saying Peter, people get sick of me talking about Peter Capaldi, but if we need a Peter Cushing, Peter Capaldi. Oh, well, he, yeah, he's got the nose. DNA is, is that, well, I don't know if you've if heard this story, but I'm going to say this really quickly. I swear to God, is not going to talk about it. But um, he told this story at um, Rose City Comic Con. He was up here in Portland. Um, and uh, he talked, you know, we we asked him about, you know, who, who do you, who, who was your, icon growing up and and he talked he says peter cushing and he said the way that i uh i got to meet him and he's he's like talking about how he signed his autograph for him and they have the same initials so he stole Uh. peter cushing's autograph and he said i've how i sign my name is how he signed his so now whenever there's a little bit of peter cushing living on every time i sign an autograph Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. And so I had he I was gonna give it to him as a gift because he did this thing called the bonfire of the geekeries when he was younger because he was bullied and he thought uh-huh. getting rid of all this stuff will stop the bullying and it didn't, of course. But mm-hmm. he he burned Peter Cushing autographs, he got rid of uh, uh autographs from actors and, and freaking astronauts that he collected. And oh, wow. it's he was really tortured, you know, by students and teachers, which is horrible. But um, I was going to give him this doll. I have this 12-inch Peter Cushing doll that I've had forever. And I'm like, I want you to have this. So, you know, after seeing it, I brought it for a prop for a picture with him. And he's like, no, 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 I can't take it. It's too expensive, but I'll sign it. And he signed it. He that's signed sweet. my Peter Cushing doll. But, I mean, that's that's the thing is I look for people that can fill that and I, uh, it's sad that we're, yeah. have you watched, you, you've seen Mark Gatiss's history of horror, right? Got mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say a million times. So when you're talking about Cushing, all I can see is him in that pub, just sitting there, uh, uh yeah. being a wonderful elderly man, enjoying his time, uh, and, uh, being this huge icon. And, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think what's interesting now with say genre, especially with horror, there are so many wonderful avenues right now that there might be five Peter Cushions for all we know, except oh, there will yeah. be a Peter Cushion that is going to be in, uh, Japan. And there's going to be one that is, uh, working down in Spain. And there could be just one uh, or two in the independent world that we don't even know about yet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so great because we have these folks who are coming up. There are multiple directors doing a whole bunch of really interesting work and there are like five, six really strong subgenres now, not how it used to be where there would be the slasher era and the zombie era and the vampire era. Well, now they're all happening at the same time and they're cross mixing, which I absolutely love. Well, and you know, what I love too is like act- directors that you wouldn't think would be doing horror films are doing horror films now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if you saw Only Lovers Left Alive with Jim Jarmusch that he did. I have not seen that one. 
Holy crap! Really is good. It, it was that and um, what we do in the shadows. Oh were my yeah, two yeah. picks for the year that that came out. Yeah, absolutely love that movie. But Jarmusch is doing a zombie film now. I heard. Yeah, and it, it's like Tilda Swinton, um, Adam Driver, and Tom Waits <laughs> in a zombie movie. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sold. I'm here. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jarmusch doing it is enough. I mean, uh, yeah. that's the thing. I, I can't believe that. I, it, it, one of the things about writing a book and doing all of this stuff and doing podcasts, as you guys well know, uh, you just the list gets so big so fast. And things fall under the uh, under the table unless somebody brings them up again. So there we go. There's one I love. I come on a show. I already have myself a list of things <laughs> that I have to watch, like post haste. <laughs> but yeah, you need to only lovers left live. Like you said, there's another Peter Cushing out there, and it's Tom uh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, Tom uh-huh. yes, is the other Peter Cushing. Yes. he's young Peter Cushing. Capaldi's yeah. older. Peter but uh, I uh, I got to ask you, though, about this, because this is one thing I wanted to, um, t- to check with you on was the influence. And I, I bring this up a lot because I, I still don't feel that he gets enough respect for what he did. And that's Rod Serling. Mm. And I think that um, with what. Uh, 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 oh, God, I just blinked on his name. The, the gentleman that did um, get out. Uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. I keep calling. I keep wanting to call him Key. Yeah. Keegan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keegan don't, don't do that no. in front of him. I know. I know. <laughs> Jordan. Jordan. He. Um. He's now moving on to making this the new Twilight Zone series. But what Serling did, and what we talked about this a little bit before, was using the power of metaphor and using genre to talk about things that people don't want to talk about or don't realize that they're learning. And when you're talking and, and he was so ahead of his time with the things that he got away with in Twilight Zone. So I just wanted to to pick your brain about that and get your take on it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say that Serling is one of those names. There's a couple guys. Serling, I would say, is the, the top. And why I would say he's the top is that he was probably the most uh, he did the most respectable kind of work in that in, in that area where he was taking science fiction and horror, mixing the two of them together and coming up with metaphors. Uh, I remember reading some of the short, the scripts were put into short story form and mm-hmm. would be in uh, journals that you could read in school. There were, uh, back when I was in high school, uh, or actually might have even been middle school, uh, there were uh, short story books that would be in the library that they would give you to read. And Rod Serling was in there. And there were several of the stories that we actually uh, ended up um, uh, doing reports on because the teacher said, this is significant stuff. We read Serling in that form and we read Shirley Jackson, The Lottery. Oh, man, I wish I I wish I had gone to your school. Right. (laughs) My school didn't do that. Well, we also read a, a lot of Steinbeck and a lot of Jack London as normal, but those were the two genre people. Oh, well, actually, also uh, Poe. Those were the people that, in my literature classes in high school and, and middle school, that they acknowledged. Everybody else, you know, forget about it. But Serling was there, and I think uh, Serling was able to talk very. Uh, you know, I, I, he's like the horror science fiction kind of hybrid of what Roddenberry was trying to do. 
Right. He does it in a, a little bit different format. And he's kind of like if Gene Roddenberry and Dan Curtis, you know, oh, uh, had had right. a kid. Yes. And you find this guy who would be able to take these these very disparate ideas and bring them together uh, in a kind of a bastardized art form. Television is like meh. And he he elevates television and he elevates what people think of science fiction and horror. When The Twilight Zone is out, uh, people forget that there was a time when horror was and science fiction was for kids, like literally for kids, where it was matinee stuff. Parents used to leave their kids off at movie theaters in the 60s uh, at, for Saturday morning matinee to watch the horror movies. And there's a very infamous time where uh, Night of the Living Dead showed up on one of those Saturday matinees and kids are running out screaming and that's that's where <laughs> Roger, into that <laughs> yeah roger ebert wrote about that he happened to be there for whatever reason roger you were at a kiddie show on a saturday morning <laughs> i'm not quite sure but uh that was the thing uh at that point it was considered nothing you know it was like no we're looking at much different forms of art and i think what serling did was he was um uh, try to do another metaphor. He's kind of like the Jackie Robinson of the guy who gets, uh, breaks the barrier uh, for science fiction hard to be taken somewhat seriously on television to the point where, you know, you get night gallery and he's remembered fondly. Uh, the baby boomers did him right by remembering him and pushing this thing through uh, and being shown in re reruns through uh, when I was growing up, I was in uh, the East coast. So W O R TV in New York was very big in pushing the twilight zone. There were twilight zone marathons that are now like international. I think the sci-fi channel still does. Oh yeah. Every the uh, was it New Year's or think yeah. Or, I yeah. Think it's yeah. New Year's. So I, I think uh, in, in some ways, He's remembered well, but I don't think he's his name is always stated. It's like state the name. You know, you don't maybe know that uh, some of the things that are out there are very Twilight Zone-ish. Or actually, I don't know. I would say that Twilight Zone is very much respected. The term Twilight Zone, people yeah. know what that is, but they don't really remember Serling that much. Well, I don't think they realize the guy with the cigarette is the guy who made this. Right. They knew the host. They right. recognize that host. And that's mm. all they see him as. Yeah. If you ask like the common layperson who Rod Serling is, oh, it's a guy that, you know, introduced the opening of the Twilight Zone, but that's all they know about him. Yeah. Right. Essentially. You know, he, he's the guy that actually wrote most of them and created the whole concept. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah and ah. Uh, Man, and you mentioned Dan Curtis. If if we, I, I we're about out of time here. I've, I we're. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> did but, we even uh, talk about anything? I'm sorry. I know, <laughs> but I'm like you're you mentioned Dan Curtis. I'm like that's a whole other two episodes of show mm -hmm. for me because Dan Curtis is one of my gods, ah. and um, I mean I I you're I wrote the. I managed to condense the entire run of Start Shadows into f like four or five pages in Horror Hound for the retrospective My of God. all the, the the plots that he had done and, and the fact that um, he he's the reason. He basically stole every plot from every gothic literature classic yep. lit and made a soap opera around it. And it's brilliant how he did it. 
and uh, he even got the he even got Lovecraft in there at one point, which is amazing with the <laughs> Leviathan storyline. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it's so funny that you should mention this because people <laughs> wonder why I'm into horror. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm a little bit older and I was just a child. I mean, I was not even, I was maybe in kindergarten at the time, but my mom ironed the clothes to dark shadows. <laughs> it was the <laughs> show that was on. Yeah. And so yeah. it was like, I, there's a werewolf. Why would I, you know, this is great. You know, and I remember getting into trouble with my mom because I love Barnabas Collins and I ended up taking all of the toys out of my toy chest and it was a box, long rectangular box toy oh, no, chest. I know what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was putting my sister in there. <laughs> and my mom is like, exactly, exactly. And she was like, I'm going to, and Oh boy. Yeah. She was like, do not do that. That's scary and horrible. <laughs> you know, we're wonderful. playing Maggie and Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I freaking love dark shadows. And that's another one. I'm so happy that there, that documentary is coming out all about Dan Curtis, because yes. thanks to him, you had like classic Gothic literature returned mm-hmm. to television and you have the night stalker and you have all this stuff that he's responsible for. That's another one that really pissed me off. I'm going to go on a rant. Um, that was another one that really pissed me off with Entertainment Weekly and their top vampires of all time. Barnabas didn't even make the list originally mm-hmm. until enough people bitched and is mm-hmm. like, um, you wouldn't have your romantic vampire if it hadn't been for him. Yeah. You Agreed. know, they did that first. The in- reincarnated love interest. They did that first. You know, it's yeah. like, um, I just, oh man, I just wanted to stab <laughs> So speak, <laughs> speaking of how uh, there's a documentary about Dan Curtis coming out, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing first off, because I, I grew up with Dan being like the guy. For, oh, yeah. for a long period of time, especially on TV. Uh, but we're in such a magnificent time. I have to give a shout out to things like Shudder and I have to give a shout out to Netflix yeah. and mm-hmm. Prime because we're getting people who didn't get paid are finally getting paid enough to be able to do these documentaries. Citizen right. Cone was fantastic for Larry Cohen. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that. That was so good. Yeah. There are these fun documentaries of people who never would have gotten a documentary. There was one about director Hal Ashby, not a, not a horror guy or anything, but he was one of the guys that I absolutely love as a kind of outsider director. And he got a, a documentary and we're starting to see where there are, uh, have you guys seen men in suits? The documentary about the guys who wore the oh, rubber suits. Yeah, in the 50s. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, a friend, one of our uh, buddies on the show is, I, I think, in that. I know we've got a couple of them, and um, that that was fantastic. That's another Doug Jones thing. Yes, Doug Jones too. is in it. Yeah. And uh, these things probably wouldn't have been seen by that many people. American Scary is another one uh, talking about the uh, horror hosts across the, the country. Oh, yeah. And, these things, uh, you might find them at cons, right? They'd be the un, unauthorized <laughs> bootleg thing somewhere in somebody's vendor stand. But now you actually get a platform that it can be seen. And I mm-hmm. think that that's wonderful, where these labors of love for very specific things. Uh, I'm waiting for like the Paul Nashy stuff to come out. Things, things oh, like that. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I'd love to see more of that because I haven't gotten to see many of his movies, but the ones I've seen, I love. Yeah, he's absolutely wild. And these are 
people who aren't going to have to be lost anymore. You know, we're going to have movies and documentaries, especially documentaries that are going to keep some of these things preserved. Uh, uh, you have um, there, there's one coming out in Shutter very soon called Har Noir, which is uh, horror movies uh, through uh, Black history. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they show Blackula, but they also show, um, oh my goodness, uh, Ganja and Hess. Oh yeah, I was going to say, is it Ganja and Hess is in that? It has to yeah. be. Yeah. And it's like five people saw that in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, right no, no, I, yeah. Everybody's like, "What? What the hell is that? Like some sort of <laughs> weed strain?" No. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I first heard about it, I was like, uh, you know, it was during the Tango and Cash era. I'm like, ah, Ganjan has Tango. <laughs> Sounds like something like that. Yeah. So I didn't see it. And then somebody said, "You must see this thing." I mean, you're a completist, dude. You got to see this. This is like nothing else you've ever seen. And he's right. I mean, very, very strange film. Uh, but that is now. Oh well, Spike Lee also did kind of a remake of it. But it, these things are being found again. You know, if there's still a negative somewhere, you know, vinegar syndrome and places like that, Blue Underground might be able to get these movies seen. But they also have a platform now, not to just exist, but to actually find an audience. So I love it. Yeah, same here. And Severn Films, too, is another good yes. one. There's a lot yeah. of those. And yeah, um, yeah I, I totally agree. I can't wait. Scott, we got to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I have, so I can answer one of your questions. I feel like you had a list of questions and we didn't hit one. I feel like Kevin Smith at a con. We got through half of them, I think. And okay. and part of that is our fault because we'll go on rants and yeah. tangents and that's just how we are. I told you we're random. But we, we got to have you back because this was so much fun. And I have more things to pick your brain about, including I wanted to talk to you about the BBC's 2006 adaptation of Dracula where um harker has syphilis and the whole reason is <laughs> yeah. is, is to bring dracula there is to cure his syphilis and, and because he's impure and he can't it just there's so many weird things about that version and yeah oh um, yeah that, that could be a ton of fun because uh, i when i go to conventions there's there's guys that i meet uh, that we stay up all night talking about horror movies That's, oh yeah the people who saved my life at one point. And uh, we were like an Algonquin round table of horror. And one of the things that ends up happening a lot is talking about where these strange ideas come to try and broaden the legend of these horror movies and whether or not changing the characters is, is good or not. And it's funny how crazy we can get talking about these things. and this is a real thing that was made with like legitimate actors yeah <laughs> and it was and and what's even crazier is it's the guy from downton abbey that dan stevens is playing syphilis harker <laughs> and is that his name that they changed the syphilis harker, <laughs> syphilis harker. That's his name, that's dj name syphilis harker <laughs> <laughs> But I mean that I, I I love the fact that they have like the creepy oh god it's 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 hilarious, but the different versions of Dracula that one just stands out to me because I watched it and I'm just like, what <laughs> the shit did this? <laughs> where did this? Who made this idea? Who thought syphilis? Let's right. add syphilis to the Dracula myth. <laughs> it's, it's terribly accurate at that point. I know, uh, and it, yeah, it's. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, you probably know about uh, Frankenstein, the true story from like 72, 73, right? Oh, yeah, that's the one yeah. with James Mason, right? Yeah, uh, Michael Sarazen. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was one where people were so enraged because it said the true story. It's like, what true story? What are you guys talking about? How can you call it a true story? How can, and it's like, well, it's historically accurate. It's like, where is it historically accurate? But that was one of those things that watching it uh, kind of did open up the canon a little bit. And it, it was, it, it was, it was fun. And what I remember the most about it was, if I remember correctly, it was live. I want to say it was live or was it was it, shot. Did, did Curtis do that one? Cause it seems like he did that one. I want to say yes, but I also want to say no. I don't, yeah, I don't go did, right on the. Cause yeah. it was right in that time where he was doing like the strange case of Jekyll and Hyde with, right. um, with, uh, Palance and he did Dracula and then he did oh, turn of the, the screw. His Palance Dracula. <sighs> that's that's the bar see and that was what's awesome and you probably know this already but the the fact that the tomb of dracula marvel comics comic Mm. yep he he based it on palance yep i i knew it because well once again i'm as old as dirt and uh, (laughs) i was there for that and i got that magazine and that's what sold me you know i'm looking at it i'm like going oh my god tomb and i was scared that comic book scared the shit out of me as a kid it was impressionistic drawing that colon did at certain points dracula never looked so demonic at times i know i have um uh one of our friends of the show is uh gene saint gene and he um is a massive vampire nut and if you've never met gene you guys are going to get along like a house on fire (laughs) um he he designed all of the mcfarland movie maniac stuff he's a one of the if you have an action figure uh, collection at all even a small one most likely at least one of those it. was was done by gene yeah he, he he had a deal going with marvel where he was doing a bunch of their marvel legends statues and he told them look i'll do these but i get to pick one to do of my own that i want to do and you're going to make it and they're like okay and he picked Huma dracula nice. and and he sent it to me he sent me one of these statues, and I'm going to be buried with it. It's, <laughs> it's uh, Dracula transforming from the bat on these stairs. Oh. And it is a thing of glory. And what's even cooler is the details he added, one of which is um, old school 70s blade uh, mm-hmm. belt with seats on it is laying on the stairs. Beautiful. So, it's it's so freaking gorgeous, and I'm not kidding. I'm not giving this to anybody when I croak. It's being buried with me. Um, well, I, I get into right. arguments with people about Gene Colan and that and that comic because Gene Colan's kind of a forgotten author, uh, uh, illustrator in some ways. People will remember Busimas and all of that, but they they kind of go, well, I don't know. He was kind of a little bit different. I said, yeah, he was different, but he was like a cinema guy. If you look at some of those comics, that was like pre what Watchmen did with cinema, uh, kind of being put into comic book frames. Uh, the panels that he did were absolutely astonishing. There was the one issue I'm kind of drawing a blank on exactly what it was, but it was of course the vampire hunters, Harker and everybody there. And he had just had a son, with, oh, Janus. Yes, Janus. There we go. And this is where Janus gets offed. Mm-hmm. And there is this two-page thing of where you realize that the baby has been mortally wounded. 
and there's just a there's not one word bubble on two pages and it's just Dracula looking down Dracula looking up and then each and every one of the the the, the slayers in a look of like oh shit. oh shit <laughs> and it is so great and he just walks over Dracula and grabs one of the guy's faces and the, and the guy doesn't have the uh, the jagged exclamation point. He's just going, my face, my face. You've got, ah, uh, ah, uh, and he crushes his head. And I was like, holy cow, that's cinema. Yeah. That, that is, just, I, that's, that is pure I, art. I keep hoping and hoping and at the same time, not wanting a Tomb of Dracula movie, like a live action, a real good Tomb of Dracula film. But I'm like, oh God, they won't do it the right way because they've already screwed it up with blade three and that yeah. mm-hmm, drake whatever the hell that was <laughs> but the other one that i really uh, we're man we're, we're i know I, I, we I, do this I, but the get, other one you gotta get out of here right <laughs> the other one i wanted i want to, them to do so bad and he never gets any props or love is i vampire and yeah, that's Andrew yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i that's what i was hoping legends of tomorrow on the CW we were going to do because he's all about, he's part of that universe and they've oh, never done anything with him. I did not know that. Yeah. The I vampire, his name, it's, it's one of the most awesome DC comics around. I told Sam Raimi when I met him to, this is what I want you to do. Right. Do <laughs> I vampire? Because <laughs> I he, love that you just went up to Sam Raimi and said, this is, what I want you to do. <laughs> this is what I want you to do. He was like all about it. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you, you, you were made for this, Sam. Go, go forth. You're not doing anything now. Go do it. Um, <laughs> but, but I vampire look it up is just some of the huh. most beautiful psychedelic mm-hmm. comics to come mm. out of the, the, the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. They came out of the House of Mysteries where he started. And then he shows up. In, ah, like, okay. All right. House of Mysteries. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So he ends up doing, um, like, I can hear him writing. He's writing this down. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> but they have a compilation of all the issues because they're kind of spread out. But he takes on, he, like, fights Man Bat, I think. And t- Batman oh. has a with him. And, um, Man Bat. Oh, wow. You're, you're taking me back. Dude, man, that was the shiz. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he uh, they ended up redoing him a little bit twilighty, but not quite. I mean, they're really good stuff, but they kind of made him not look like he did in the comics. He was a little bit twilighted. But um, Andrew Bennett, fantastic character, beautiful comics. And what ends up happening is his nemesis is the woman that he fell in love with. And, and he was the vampire first changed her and she ends up becoming the big badass. And it's a neat take on the vampires, uh, myth. See, we could go till four. Yes. This is a four in the morning (laughs) deal right here. So uh, you bring up man bad. I'm thinking man thing. And I'm like, uh, man the thing. specter. I'm thinking of all these crazy comics that had these short runs that were so freaking great. Dude, and werewolf by night. Yeah. Werewolf by night. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, these are freaking awesome. And uh, I'm thinking also of when I was when I was young, I got uh, the measles really bad. And so my dad knew I liked comic books. So he just went out and bought whatever he could find. So he brought me this Jim Steranko retrospective, which was absolutely amazing. And then he brought me Batman 1930 to 1975 or something like that. Oh, my God. And it was just reprints. I would comics. have been, I would have faked sick for a right. long time. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable. He had no idea what a treasure trove he gave me. And yeah. just seeing the Batman of the seventies, how it started to kind of go back to the, the mindset of the Batman of the thirties. And it was just like, holy cow. I mean, I love the Batman, uh, the earliest Batman where he's running around with a gun, kicking people down <laughs> <off> buildings. <laughs> Batman <laughs> doesn't just... use a gun. No. Yeah. Well, he kind of doesn't, but back then he was a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first comics, he's like knocking uh, mafia guys off or mobsters off of uh, a, uh, a constructed building. And he's got one of their guns and he's shooting. <laughs> it's like, it's just amazing. So I love that stuff. Uh, anyway. We're, we, okay. we have to have you come back. And yeah. then can you imagine getting him and Mark Muir on at the same time? We, oh, man. Uh, we just sat back and watch you guys go. <laughs> that sounds great hopefully we'd come up for air oh man yeah mark is a walking mark is a friend of the show he's the voice of commander shepherd and mass effect that's how everybody typically knows him but he's like the biggest geek you're gonna meet um around and and just having a geek at some point we're gonna have to have an episode it's like a geek round table Mm, that would be fun. Wonderful. Yeah. See, this is what I live for. People ask me why I wrote the uh, the book and why I did the podcast. And it's, I want the conversations. I start the conversation. Let's keep it going. Write me, email me, whatever it is. Let's do this. That is the fun. That is the joy. That is what convention family is when I exactly. go out and find people. Con family. I yep. love my con family. Well, Scott, I'm going to give you a chance now that we've gone over like super stupidly long <laughs> because we're insane. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to pimp your stuff and tell everybody where they can find your your uh, your goodies. All right. Fantastic. So my book is a Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy. It is a love letter to all things that go bump in the night and how horror can reinvent itself to reflect the generation's anxieties and the generation does that itself to horror. You can find that anywhere that you uh, buy books. Uh, if you're looking for the online, you can go to Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, etc. If you uh, love, it's also on Kindle. Uh, there will be an audiobook coming hopefully by the end of the year. We shall see about that. That. Uh, if you're interested in finding out all the different places that you can find the book, you can go to hellbentforhorror.com forward slash book, and you will be able to find all of the places that you can go, including uh, some free stuff that's on the uh, on the webpage as well, and uh, some reviews that are there. You can find out all sorts of things that make me sound really nice. And then there is my podcast, Hellbent for Horror. I'm here to remind you that you used to love horror, and you secretly still do. The thing that I like to do is conversations that bring people in who may have forgotten how much fun they could have with horror. And Hellbent for Horror is a podcast about everything related to horror. I talk about horror as art and social commentary. I talk about movies, books, stories that shape me, and those that shape horror as a film style and an art form, because I think horror is one of the most diverse and beautiful storytelling styles that we have. And if you'd like to find that, you can find it on anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, including places like Spotify. And it got a plug from Guillermo del Toro. 
Yes. Don't forget, he plugged it, which is awesome. I I, I sleep with that under the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody, I hope you had fun listening to us just go on and go on about awesome things. And uh, Scott, thank you again for coming on. This was so fantastic. I'm not kidding. We're going to have to have you back so we can talk more because we only just barely scratched the surface of this. And Barb, thank you for going through the snowpocalypse snowpocalypse what do you call it snowpocalypse snowpocalypse yeah so she's she's went through the tundra and joined us again oh wow it's been too long yeah she she literally moved from florida to michigan last week (laughs) last week (laughs) wow what timing you have yeah is it minus 50 out there now oh right now i think it's one Oh, but I think they're going to have like a, a heat wave over the week and it's supposed to get up into like, I don't know, the low 40s or something. Nice. It'll melt oh. just enough for it to freeze again and turn into complete ice. Oh, right. exactly. My dog's loving it. My friends in Florida, friends and family in Florida are like, if I hear one more person tell me to bundle up from that area, I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thank you guys so much. For Thanks so much for having me on, Jessica and Barb. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> so we will um, most likely, if Barb lives through the killer frost, see you next week on Fangirl Radio.